with the new year coming up, um, our focus switches to things that maybe we wish we had done differently the previous year. And as we look forward into the new year 2020, undoubtedly there are some things that we would like to change in our lives. And a lot of people, we make what we call New Year's resolutions. Now, let me take a poll. How many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution? Put your hand up. Keep your hand up. Keep it up. Keep it up. How many of you have ever followed that New Year's resolution all the way to December 31st? Keep your hand up. Keep your, keep your hand up. <laughs> yep. So, according to research, about 60% of us make New Year's resolutions. But only about 8% of that 60% actually achieve them. Meaning that 5% of people actually set goals to better themselves and then follow them through to the end of the year. And so even before the first month of January, most people have actually given up on their annual commitment to themselves. And I know that I can relate to the regret of being in the 95% that never never accomplish a goal and maybe you can relate to that as well truth is there's a great majority of us have never kept new year's resolutions and so why is it that we are continually straining for and striving for is uh you know the a new leaf is good so why do we struggle and I think that most of us and, and maybe even all of us have something on the inside of us that drives us to do better, to be better, to make a difference in the lives of people. And regardless if we manifest that through New Year's resolutions or just by trying harder, I think that this desire to, be, to become more, to become better, is something that's planted on the inside of us in our DNA that God created on the inside of us. Is that right? See, God made us in his image. And as we discussed last week, he was a light to all mankind because he is love and he loves us and he wants us to impact other people's lives just like he impacts our lives. And so therefore, we've all got this DNA to make a difference in the lives of other people, to better ourselves, to want to be more. But the problem comes is that most times we try to better ourselves from the outside in rather than the inside out. You see, we set goals, which is good. We just try harder, which is also good. But we try to use this brute force willpower to motivate ourselves. And although willpower is a, is a powerful force that we need, it's usually not a very good motivator. And without any internal motivation, internal empowerment or drive, most of us, we just wander aimlessly through life, subject to the ebbs and the flows of whatever comes along that bullies us into focusing on and reacting to the different things that happen to us in life. Even though our intent is to get direction from God, to carry that out with self-discipline and, and, and a passion for God and a love for God, a lot of times we find ourselves in places where we feel stuck, maybe unmotivated, sometimes even purposeless, adrift, growing tired of not being able to accomplish our God-given dreams and purposes, or maybe even still just wondering what are those purposes. You see, if we don't figure out how to gain a mastery of our own lives, and living a life of determination and purpose and a God-ordained accomplishments, then our lives 
they're just going to be weighted down, plotting day after day after day with no purpose. We'll look back at the end of our lives with a regret and wish that we had lived intentionally. And to be honest, there are many of us that we haven't even figured out what direction we need to go in. And so we, we, we have no direction. And so we're simply adrift in a life that's, to be honest, all too eager to make us reactionary, frustrated. And some of us have marriages and families with no purpose other than just to exist. And therefore we struggle to have healthy families. You see, a family without a purpose is just a drift. And if you're adrift, you're subject to attack from the inside out. Or some of you are students looking to the future for adventure and hope. And we hope it's not a short adventure because you don't have purpose, direction, foundation. Little to no self-discipline or self-control or intimacy with God. Many uh, of you are single and you're looking for that perfect someone. But you don't have a clear picture that, of who God made you to be. That he designed you to be somebody's amazing someone. See, a lot of people, their, relax, their lack of relationship with God makes them hungry to rush into relationships. And you end up in a relationship out of need. And you're trying to shove somebody else in that God-sized hole. And they don't fit. They don't measure up. And then some, some of us with, have years of experience and we're older and we're, we're, look, we're asking the question, is God done with us? Can God still give us direction and purpose in the later years of our lives? And so you may be wondering, well, so how do I get close to God so that I can get that direction and a will to follow through on his plans for my life? Or you may be here and you're even far from God. You don't even know if you believe all this stuff. And you're maybe seeking answers to those big questions. Is there even a God? And if so, does he really have any interest in us? Does he really have a plan for our lives? Or did he do his creative duty and now he's off to something else somewhere? You know, I know sometimes we struggle with, uh, with things that are adrift. Or to do the things that we should do, could do, or even want to do because of things like lack of self-discipline, lack of direction, or even a lack of a relationship with him. And so there is an answer to all these questions. And the answer is very simple. It's clear, but it's not easy. It's elusive, but it's very, very powerful. And it's found all through the Bible. The early apostles did it the, um, for direction. Moses did it to get instruction. Even Jesus himself did it uh, for direction, instruction. And more importantly than that, he did it for that eternal, internal empowerment to help him carry out his calling. You know, we think of Jesus as God and that he didn't have to deal with all these struggles that I've just talked about. And he was God for sure. He's 100% God. However, the part that we miss sometimes is that he was also 100% man. See, when Jesus was 12, the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, let's look at this, in verse 52, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So like any young boy, he grew in stature, but the Bible says that he had to grow in wisdom as well. See, he had to learn just like you and me. Hmm. And then it also said that he grew in favor with God. 
Meaning he had to grow close to God. See, a lot of us, our perception is, is that if you're Jesus, you don't have to grow in anything. You already are everything. But Jesus was also man. And he had to go through everything that we go through. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4. In verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just like we are, yet he didn't sin. See, he can empathize with our weaknesses because he had to overcome the same weaknesses. He had to overcome temptations just like he had to grow in favor and relationship with the Father. He had to develop. And he had to create a relationship with the Father just like we do. He had to develop discipline and willpower just like we do, but even more so. See, we'll never ever have the pressure of all mankind, past and present and future, on his shoulders like we did, or on our shoulders like he did. See, in Luke 3, look at this. God the Father and the Holy Spirit announces with him that he's the Messiah in front of everybody. Luke 3, 21, it says, It came to pass that Jesus was also baptized. And while he prayed, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, how awesome how amazing is that? But think about it. As amazing and affirming as this would be, my word, how utterly overwhelming. I mean, could you imagine? You have now been dubbed the savior of all mankind, past and future. And not only that, but in front of everybody. No pressure. And we think we have pressure. Now, how in the world would you prepare for such a thing? And you had to do it in a human body and with a human mind, with all of its weaknesses, all of its internal tensions and battles, just like you and I have. So what I want to look at is how did Jesus do it? How did he set himself up for the success and the purpose of his calling? And I think we find a glimpse of it at the beginning of his ministry. You see, after this huge announcement at his baptism, Luke 4 says this. It says that then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit return, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. He fasted. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. I'd say so. And I believe that Jesus knew something about fasting that maybe we've forgotten in our modern day culture. You see, fasting was very common in the Bible. It's all through the, the New and Old Testaments. It's mentioned over 50 different times. And so as Luke continues the story of this intense competition with Satan, Jesus' own words revealed that the purpose of this fasting was to help him draw near to God for help, for direction, and for willpower. See, for um, when, when Satan brings him the idea of turning stones into bread and he tempts him to do that, he quotes Deuteronomy. And he says, And man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So 
See, what had happened was that by fasting, Jesus demonstrated the fact that true nourishment comes from God. Jesus needed that internal motivation and fortitude that we all desire, we all need. And so by fasting, he acknowledged God as the sole source of his strength rather than relying on himself. It's part of what it does. Now, he not only got that internal intimacy with God spiritually, but also the mental fortitude to have the self-control and the willpower to not give in when tempted. See, the temptation didn't stop after the first. The devil took him to a high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world that he, that he Satan, controlled. And he said, if you'll worship me, then I'll give you all this. And, and he wor- Jesus quotes the scriptures again and says, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him will you serve. And so still not giving up, Satan takes him to the top of the temple and once again to tempt him again. And Jesus answered him with scripture again saying, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. See, fasting is obviously not the only tool that we have because Jesus quoted scriptures to the devil but I believe that fasting gives us the intimacy with God the direction from God and the willpower to help carry out the direction and the purpose that we have and speak the word of God is that right Jensen Franklin says it this way he says fasting is not just physical discipline it can be spiritual feast And so here's the point to all of this And that is that fasting is feasting. Fasting is feasting. It's spiritual feasting. See, if you want to know God better, receive direction, and have the strength, willpower, and fortitude that you want, fasting is the spiritual key to that. Now, if you don't already know the power of fasting and how important fasting is, what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to unpack it a little bit for you and give you some of the insights from God's word to help get us started in this, okay? So first of all is that fasting brings us closer to God. Now, if you could, you, if you could be any closer to God in your relationship with God, say, that's me. That's me. All right, good. So I'm, I'm talking to the right audience. It's... It's an awesome benefit to anybody that wants to be closer to God, that wants to be transformed into being more like Jesus. See, fasting helps us keep our priorities correct. It helps us get closer to God because it helps us realize the things that truly matter in life. Because it's very quickly we allow non-essential things to take precedence in our life and, and our relationship with him. Most of the things that we crave and, and we want are non-essential. And they have a tendency to take over our lives. See, fasting doesn't only mean fasting from food. It could also be fasting from social media, television, music, shopping, <laughs> and a whole bunch of other stuff. And so the, a lot of times things get up, they start ticking up in our priority list and, and encroaching upon our relationship with God sometimes. And when you notice that, do something about it so like social media even though it can be enjoyable it can suck time energy and focus i've heard of people who fast social media just uh several days a week just so they can reset and and be aware of god's presence and less distracted from all the noise in life The important thing, though is to find some area of your life that you generally use as a distraction from life and choose to cut it out for a time 
in the book of John, the disciples bring his meal to Jesus, assuming that he was hungry. But Jesus replies in John 4, 32, he says, I have food to eat, which you don't know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You see, fasting brings us closer to God because it reminds us that we are sustained by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God by him and his word. See, food's not the thing that sustains us. God is. And so maybe during the hours of, the, of those things that would fill your time that you're fasting from, what you do is you aim to spend that time in meaningful contemplation or prayer or Bible study. Instead of spending your half hour at lunch, maybe uh, you do a prayer walk around your work and pray for your coworkers. Or instead of going shopping, like you, maybe you do every Saturday, maybe you spend that time volunteering, making a difference in the lives of other people. In other words, the experiences of fasting were not so much about abstaining from food as much as it is feasting on God. Because fasting is feasting. And there, there's no defined right way to do a fast. There's all kinds of different fasts. The mechanics of it is not, are not nearly as important as your attitude and your heart while you're fasting. All right? So the second thing that fasting does is it brings direction from God. If you're here and you could use some more direction from God, say, that's me. That's me too. And so let's look closely at uh, Acts 13. This is so cool. Watch this. This is, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, which was Paul, for the work which I have called them. See, this is the elders and apostles that were worshiping and fasting um, and seeking God. And the Holy Spirit gave them direction to set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work of the Lord during that fast. And so it was the occasion for the Holy Spirit to give them direction. And I don't want you to miss this obvious link that the author Luke here draws. Because it was while, when, or even because they were ministering the Lord and fasting that the Holy Spirit spoke to them. And what God said to them in the course of this fast changed all of history. The, resort, the results were both immediate and long-term, even to today. And it's stunning when you think about it because prior to this incident, the church had not progressed very far beyond the eastern seacoast of the Mediterranean. Um, Paul hadn't taken any missionary journeys west, westward to Greece, Rome, Spain. He hadn't written any of the epistles at this time. See, all of his letters were a result of these missionary journeys that he would take and the churches that he would plant. So this occasion of prayer and fasting actually birthed Paul's missionary journeys and led to the writing of 13 of our New Testament books. Isn't that cool? I mean, where would we be today if they had not diligently sought after God and his direction through fasting and prayer? The Bible also talks about this in Jeremiah. And in 29, 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart and that's what fasting is see God promises to be found by those who diligently seek him with all of their heart and it doesn't just have to be direction for you it could be for others as well there are examples all through the Bible of people that fasted for all kinds of different things a personal problem uh, a difficult 
difficulty in overcoming sin. David fasted for that, um, facing a major decision, threat of danger, um, repentance of a loved one. And uh, even when his country was being invaded, King Jehoshaphat called a fast for all of Judah. Ezra called a fast for all of the exiles that were returning to Judah. And Esther asked all the Jews in in the capital to fast so that they would be spared from genocide. See, obviously from these people's examples, you can also seek God collectively as a group. Because remember, fasting is feasting and we want to feast on God. Thirdly, is that fasting gives you strength for God. Now, if anybody could use any more self-discipline and strength, say, that's me. (laughs) That's me too. Some of you more than others. But the, see, the thing is, is that if you want internal strength and fortitude, fasting is the way to get that willpower that it takes to push through. And part of our spiritual, um, our spiritual journey to be other-centered and help with the work of ministry to others is part of that. But that other-centeredness will never come without strength from God and the willpower that he wants us to develop. Self-centeredness is the ultimate enemy. Self-centeredness is the nucleus of sin. It's the bait that Satan uses. And it was at the core of all those three temptations that he used on Jesus at the end of his fast. But what Satan must not have realized is that that feast that fasting brings discipline. See, he came to him at the end of his 40 days to and thinking that his willpower would be at its weakest after not eating for 40 days. But what he didn't know or must not have known is that fasting is feasting. Because you see Jesus was feasting spiritually for 40 days. Listen to me very carefully. A lot of us, we feel like the enemy is on our back, that he's, he's following us around, harassing us, tempting us, oppressing us, and we don't have the strength to deal with it. But fasting can help you with that. Because see, look, watch this. It says in James 4, 7, look at this. Submit yourselves, to the, yourselves then to God. And listen to this. Resist the devil and he will flee. See, a lot of times we recognize the enemy, but instead of following Jesus' example of resisting when there was a temptation, and, you know, this temptation of harassment, this temptation of, of oppression, what we do is we go binding and casting out and all that kind of stuff. But what Jesus did was he just resisted. He didn't tell him to, he didn't cast him out, he didn't bind him or anything like that. He resisted and spoke the word of God. That was what he did after a fast. And so uh, look, look at this. In, in this next scripture, as we go on with the, with the story, it says, Luke 4.13 says, Now then, when the devil had ended every temptation, he did everything he knew to do. He pulled every tool he had, and Jesus resisted him. He departed from him. I believe that fasting gave him the willpower to resist the devil and speak the word to him. And he fled. It was the willpower to overcome the instant gratification that he was being tempted with. Because even though Satan would leave him for a time, he'd be back. Because it says, now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until 
an opportune time. Evidently, he discovered that after a fast is not an opportune time. But I hate to tell you that temptations don't stop. They just look for a more opportune time. And so as we create a habit of fasting, our willpower and our fortitude grow more powerful. And as we grow stronger, we can say no to the things that we know bring death, fatigue, but we can say yes to the things that bring life to us. Well, so back to Jesus's fast. In that next verse, Luke 4, 14, it says that after that, Jesus returned to the power of the Spirit to his home, Galilee. Isn't that what we want? To be in the power of the Spirit, to return to our families in power to our jobs and our businesses in power, to our schools in power, to be empowered, to make a difference, to fulfill our destiny. So here's what we're gonna do. For the last 21 days of January, I'm gonna call a church-wide fast that we're gonna call 21 days of prayer. And it will be the 21 days from Sunday, January the 12th uh, till Saturday, February the 1st. And we've done this in the past before, and the testimonies were absolutely amazing of what God did. And as your pastor, I feel led to ask us all to collectively fast, to bring us closer to God, to bring direction, and also not only to us, but even to our loved ones, and then to help give us the strength of self-discipline to be able to, to escape the traps of the enemy. And so there are many different types of fast. But here are, I want to give you four different types of fast to consider when you're seeking God about what type of fast to do. And so the first is a complete fast. Now, this is kind of the most advanced fast. This is what Jesus did for 40 days. And in this type of fast, you drink only liquids, typically water and maybe some some juices as an option. But the second one is a Daniel fast. Now, this is mainly the type of fast that we've done collectively in the past. And the Daniel fast is when you remove meat, sweets, and, and that kind of thing. And you basically consume water, juice, fluids, uh, fruits, vegetables, nuts. There are different versions of the Daniel fast. And I'm not going to get into all that. You can look at that, research it, and pray and decide what you want to do if you want to do a Daniel fast. And then there's a partial fast. This fast is some kind of, sometimes called a Jewish fast. And it involves not eating any type of food in the morning and afternoon usually. And so it, it either correlates to times like 6 a.m. to 3 p.m., something like that, or even sunup to sundown, things like that. And then lastly is a, what we're going to call a soul fast. And this fast is, uh, is a great option if you don't have a lot of experience with, uh, with abstaining from food or maybe you have some health issues that prevent you from fasting or if you want to focus, refocus certain areas of your life that may be out of balance. For example, you might choose to stop social media or watching television for the duration of the fast and then carefully bring that element back in in healthy doses at the end of the fast. And let me say this too while we're talking about that is that be mindful of health issues that might make a particular kind of fast unwise for you. For example, if you're a diabetic or if you have any other physical condition that requires uh, a certain diet, be especially mindful 
not to put yourself in a compromising position as a result of a fast. Also, I would discourage the idea for those who um, have eating disorders that maybe make uh, food a challenge or a concern. And so if you have any questions at all, talk to your doctor before going on one of these fasts. But what kind of fast you do is between you and God, okay? But I want you to pray. I want you to ask him what you're supposed to do. And if, and if you don't hear anything, that's okay. Just pick one. Fasting might even help you hear him next time. But also... We have these uh, fasting boards to my right, and in the past we have signed our names on the days that we are committing to fast. And so this time, I'd like to do it a little bit different. I'd like you to just to put your initials instead of writing your full name, so only you know who you are. And so as soon as the service is over, or even over the next few weeks as you decide what you're going to do, go ahead and put your initials on the different days that you're committing to. Um, and so something else that I'd like to ask you to do over the next few weeks is to turn in prayer requests of things that you would like to see God do in your life during the fast or maybe even in the lives of people that are around you. It could be anything that God puts on your heart that you'd like to see changed in you or even in those that are close to you. But I'd like you to focus as much as possible on you, on yourself during the fast. Also during the fast, we're going to have morning prayer meetings on Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. and then on Saturdays at 9 a.m. They'll only last about a half an hour, uh, maybe 45 minutes at the most. It won't be long. But these were very popular in years past when we've done fasts. And they also, they, they increase a great deal what you get out of a fast. So I want to encourage you to make those a priority if possible. And so we're going to be praying over all those prayer requests that you turn in during those morning meetings. And then there'll also be a prayer focus for every single day. Next week, we'll have cards on the seats uh, that has information about the fast on one side. And it has these prayer focuses for each day on the back that we're all going to, uh, to pray for. It's our church, our nations, these general topics like that that we want to agree on in addition to your personal uh, things that you're praying for. And so we're going to be praying for all those during our morning prayer services as well. I can't tell you how sure I am that we're supposed to do this. And how excited I am about what God is going to do in the lives of us here at Living Word. And therefore in the lives of people that are far from God that are supposed to be impacted by us. What would it be like if we all got a hold of this? And you began to walk in the relationship with God that God wants with you. That you could always hear his voice and his direction and the purpose that he has for you. I mean, what would it be like if you had the self-discipline and the willpower to, to resist the temptations and the traps and to carry out the work that he has for you in joy? What would it be like if we all did that? Could you imagine that through fasting, we really feasted on God. It's going to be so exciting to see what God does in these 21 days.